EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, and welcome to another episode of EST, the podcast by established church pastors for established church pastors. My name is Josh, and I want to thank you for listening in today, making us a part of your week. Mike and Sam aren't on this episode, but our guest today is somebody I think that you're going to really enjoy, somebody that's got a lot of insight into things that we deal with quite often as established church pastors. My guest this morning or today is Daniel M. Daniel, how are you today? It's great to be with you. Great. For our listeners who uh, may not know, we'll have you kind of introduce yourself, but Daniel is one of the most gracious people in all the world, especially to the EST show, (laughs) since this is the third time we're recording this due to my technical difficulties. So, Hey, and Mike's as well. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that part. (laughs) Hey, it's uh, going to be three times better. That's what it's going to be. (laughs) It's the very best recording we've ever made. So, Daniel, uh, for those who aren't familiar with you or, or, you know, have never met you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and where you're at. Yeah, so I live in Nashville. I've lived in Nashville for the last three years. My wife and I, we've been married for 11 years, and we have three children, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. We moved down three years ago to figure out how Lifeway was going to begin resourcing church planting, multi-site, multiplication. So I serve as the director of church multiplication with Lifeway Leadership, with newchurches.com. And so that's what I do during the day. I'm also a bivocational teaching pastor uh, at our church here in Nashville. It's it's called The Fellowship. So, I mean, I'm a pastor. I have a call to ministry, and I, I just love that I get to continue to do that while serving the church uh, via Nashville, uh, via Lifeway. Sure. And before Lifeway, you actually served in some established churches as well. Tell us about those. Yeah. So after getting married, I was at a, I mean, my background's always been in church plants or in multi-site churches. So uh, out in Ottawa, Montreal, Korea, and most recently in Edmonton. Uh, and, and when I was in Edmonton there, I mean, that was for the last time I was about four years and I was leading adult ministry and, and really helping the church uh, and doing campus pastoring stuff and really helping the church move towards more of a missional mindset. Cool. So mm-hmm. you did a lot of that, and so I think that that helps as our listeners are kind of listening into our conversation here that you are one of us, not just one of the denominational guys that doesn't really know kind of how yeah. it is to be in the church anymore. <laughs> and so that's helpful and and appreciate yeah. that. So one of the reasons we have you on the show for the third time now, the first time for our listeners to hear is you just wrote a book recently, not too long ago, called No Silver Bullets. I've actually picked it up, read quite a bit of it, not yet done with it, but I'm really enjoying it. And um, as I was talking to you earlier about, I had a friend of mine over here, a pastor friend, and he was kind of sharing with me even more. It was on my list of books to read, but he was talking about kind of how it's impacted his church and the way they're thinking through things. And I said, I got to get a hold of this book. And then later on, we kind of figured out that we were going to have you on the show. Tell us a little bit about what instigated or 
inspired you to write the book No Silver Bullets? Yeah, I don't know about you, Josh, but the number of conferences I've been to and conference notebooks I have and and other books that I've bought trying to look for the silver bullet to try to increase group engagement at my church or try to get better at preaching or close the back door or assimilate, you know, just all these things that we try to do and, and we see those who are doing it really well. They're often the ones that are maybe speaking at conferences on those topics. And we're like, man, if I just if I just do what they do, right, if I just do what they do, then 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 we're going to move into a new season of growth and fruitfulness and all this stuff. And man, I mean, if we could just do what Josh, Sam and Micah are doing, I mean, like we <laughs> would have no issues. Yeah. You guys have the silver. So, I mean, you know, it, it's funny because. There's no silver bullet in life, right? And we know that if you've ever tried to diet, we know there is no silver bullet. So true. Uh, dieting and in so many other places. But why? Why is it that as ministry leaders, as pastors, do we think that there is one in the church and in, in what we are called to do? So with that premise, that's really the heart behind the book. My heart, I mean, as much as I shared earlier that I focus on church planting, multi-sided multiplication resourcing, and we do a lot of work around leadership pipeline. I mean, my heart is discipleship. Even this morning, right, it was, I was discipling one of the guys in my life group, and we meet weekly, and we read through the Word, and we discuss, and, and we keep each other accountable. And I mean, this is, I mean, it's central. I mean, even if you look at how churches get started, I mean, it's through discipleship, right? I mean, mm. you got, it's make disciples of all nations, Right. So this That's book really is taking the premise of, hey, there are no silver bullets in life or in ministry, but how do we how do we disciple people toward maturity where it's not just, hey, here's a model that worked for me, but really kind of take a step back and look at discipleship from a systems perspective. Kind of the the, be, the biggest, I guess, analogy or picture I have in my mind, I, I mean, it looks like we're around the same age. And remember those old school encyclopedias, like Encyclopedia mm. Britannica, and I you got do. the human yeah. body, and there are those transparencies that kind of go one system over the other. So you got the lymphatic, the you know, you have all the systems, right? Yeah. Well, the, the purpose of the book is really to look at Look at it from the, you know, from a systems perspective and say, hey, do you have these different systems necessary to to grow as a church, to be healthy as a church, to make disciples as a church and to move toward what God is calling you to do in your neighborhood? Wow. I think that's so insightful. As you talk to other um, my my area is revitalization. And as I mm. speak with revitalizers and revitalizing pastors, Oftentimes we can get misled into things like the name of the church or the color of the carpet or, you know, whether or not you have hymns or not. And all those things can lead to issues or can highlight issues. But really when you're talking, to use your analogy there, if we're looking at the anatomy of a human, that's really mm -hmm. just talking about the color of your hair or, you know, fingernail <laughs> polish. That's really yeah. not the issue when it comes to revitalization or established mm -hmm. churches. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, kind of unpack some of those things. One of the things I found so helpful from your book was this distinction between destination discipleship or directional discipleship. And I'll tell you why. Um, my the, He's now the president of our college down here in Dallas, but when he was a professor, I remember him sort of drawing this cross on the marker board. And then he drew a circle around the cross, and he said, Many of us think the whole purpose is to get people across this line, this circle, and towards the cross. And then that's it. We don't care about anything else. Just make a decision and cross that line. 
And then he said, so what if I told you there's no circle? And he, 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 you know, he erased the circle and said, some of these people are moving away from the cross and some of these people are moving towards the cross. Our goal is to get people closer and closer to the cross mm. and quit worrying about that goal, that line, which I found sort of relating to your destination versus direction discipleship. Could you unpack that a little bit more for those who haven't yet read the book? What, what do you mean Def- by destination and direction? Definitely. So that's really as it relates to what growth looks like as a follower of Christ, right? So there are some individuals who see discipleship as just getting to a destination, do these classes, do these programs. In fact, a lot of times when people hear the word discipleship pathway, they're like, oh, yeah, we have a discipleship pathway. We use this curriculum, right? (laughs) Or we have groups. And I mean, yeah, I mean, that is part of the discipleship process, but it's not your discipleship pathway, right? So, I mean, on the one end, people see discipleship, okay, it's a destination, get to these, you know, check these boxes off and you're going to get there. Now, the majority of our listeners, Josh, I mean, I, I'm sure they're like, well, that no, that's not that that's that's not how discipleship works. Discipleship is more directional, right? You got Hebrews 12, you're like running the race of faith with perseverance. If you're a Eugene Peterson fan, right, he says a long obedience in the same direction, right? I mean, it's, it's a biblical notion of, of being directional. Even as I was talking through this concept with uh, Dr. Robert Coleman, right? I mean, the master plan of evangelism. I mean, he's my mentor from afar, from afar, right? So, yeah, I mean, I know him more than he knows me, if that makes sense, <laughs> <laughs> right? But even when I was processing this with him, uh, as I was kind of really trying to see what he thought about it and all that, I mean, he was just talking about, um, I mean, since the conversation, his wife has passed away, but I mean, he was kind of working through that and, and talking about, hey, you know, is... Do you do you ever do you ever end in your growth with Christ? Do you ever end even when you meet Jesus? Do you in an instant know everything or are you continuing to grow? You know, is God fully knowable or even when you're with him, are you continuing to grow in knowledge of him? Now, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. And he was just kind of, you know, he was just kind of thinking out loud there. But it's an interesting thing to to work through. It's an interesting concept to work through. So, I mean, at least on this side of eternity, we know that, I mean, it is a direction. Here's the problem, Josh. As much as most pastors will agree that discipleship is directional, when you look at the way that discipleship happens in their churches, it's oftentimes destination-focused. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and part of the reason is because we often teach the way that we've been taught we lead the way that we've been led. We disciple the way that we've been discipled uh, if we, you know, unless we consciously do so otherwise. So if you look back to when you were a kid and how you learned and it was like, a, you know, you got to take this class and then do this and then do this exam and then you're going to get a degree. I mean, I was pre-med before I went and, and, and really discerned a call to ministry and I did calculus, right? And, and I passed it. But I mean, don't try to give me any math problem beyond like a grade six. <laughs> a grade seven. <laughs> I mean, we have calculators for a reason. And there are some calculus problems you, I don't even I don't even know where to start at right. trying to solve. Now yeah. I passed it. Did, did, does that mean I'm competent in it? Mm. No. No. And in the same way when it comes to discipleship, we think, oh, but as long as you you know, I, I mean all you all you gotta do is store up the knowledge, right? Just just take a class and Eventually, you'll use that knowledge, but that's not how it works as adults. No. Like, we don't necessarily store that. So that's that difference between destination and direction. Well, I'm curious, and this may put you on the spot because I'm not sure you've thought through this, or maybe yeah, you wrote a book on it. When you were 
younger, what was the, did you experience sort of a destination, were you pushed into a destination sort of discipleship? And what was that? What did that look like for you? When I was younger, I, I remember going to one of my pastors and I was serving and, and growing, and I'm sure we're going to get into the whole 70, 2010 right. concept a little bit later on. But, but, you know, as I was serving and growing and not only in a Bible study, but leading a Bible study, I remember going to the pastor one time and being like, man, I can, can you just like, can we just go through Hebrews? Like, I really, I, I don't get it. Can you just help walk me through Hebrews? And he didn't do it. I don't know why he didn't do it, <laughs> but he didn't want to do it. Later on, a few years after that, uh, I was leading worship for our ministry, and, and me and the pastor would meet weekly. Uh, he was a student at Regent College in Vancouver, and uh, we would just meet weekly at the seminary. Uh, and, I mean, there was never point, a point where he was like, okay, Daniel, you're now ready to go, because there was just always stuff that would be brought up. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I never had the impression or got the impression that I was fully mature, even when I was leading a ministry as a volunteer. Wow. I I remember as a teenager in the church that I grew up in, we we were independent, fundamental Baptist kind of church. And on our uh, bulletin board there in our youth room, our youth room had pews. That's how traditional we were. Our, Our youth room had pews and a piano. And there was a bulletin board over there, and it had... All of the major doctrines, pneumatology, bibliology, soteriology, on and on and on. And that's what we studied every week. Youth. Yeah. And then we that's took intense. then we took tests on it. And, the, <laughs> and the, I mean, you could win. He had this two liter soda and then there was like all these candy bars <laughs> like taped to it because we were youth. So it had to be kind yeah. of fun. But yeah, I got the impression that if you could memorize all those, define them and defend them biblically, you yeah. were done. You're you're a disciple. You're 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 kind of done with all of this. And so, um, I I even remember thinking when I go to Bible college because I surrendered when I was about nine or ninth mm-hmm. grade, and my thought was when I get to Bible college on day one, I'm going to walk in with a Bible and a notebook, and somebody, a wise old pastor, will stand up and say, "All right, Genesis one," and then we would just start talking about it. All the way till we were done with Revelation, and he would be like, okay. "There's your degree. You're now perfectly smart on this whole Bible and pastoring." And so I thought that's how this would work. I literally went into <laughs> Bible college thinking that's how that was going to work. I was so surprised to find out that they just pretty much. I remember one of them saying, "When you're done with this, you will just now have the tools to learn. That, yeah. That's it. Now go off." And, and that's good. And so uh, I get it. That's, that's kind of the destination I was pushed into, and stumbled upon and things like that. You you mentioned yeah. a minute ago the 70-20-10. Let's yeah. talk about that because that kind of blew up on Twitter a little bit, and there's still some discussions going on. Even offline, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, not on Twitter. We were just talking in person about this whole concept of 70-20-10. Before we kind of break it apart, could you just explain what we mean by the 70-20-10? Yeah, the interesting thing about the 70-20-10 principle now, what I do here at Lifeway, we're a part of Lifeway leadership, and, and we focus on resourcing church leaders. We have a pipeline conference, ministry group, right? We have a ton of stuff all around that. But what we often say at Lifeway leadership is a transformation is the intersection point between knowledge, experience, and coaching. Okay. Right? And and the 70-20-10 kind of overlaps with there's the knowledge piece, the experience piece, and the coaching piece. But if you look at this concept in particular, I mean, this is not to be mistaken with the 80-20 rule or the Pareto principle. I mean, this is a little – and it really approaches how adults learn. 
right? And basically this, this principle states that 70% of our learning comes by doing, right? That's like on the job, trial and error, informal, growing in experience. And 20% of our learning actually comes through informal feedback. So that's coaching or mentoring. There, that's, that's 20%. And then you have actually the 10% of our learning, which is through conferences or seminars or courses or by listening, right? So it's interesting when you think about this concept of the 70-20-10 Unfortunately, in our churches, we often flip it, right? We flip it on its head and we're like, no, 70% of learning comes by listening, right? 20% by interaction, 10% by doing, but that's not how adults learn, Mm-mm. right? So it's, it's just a really and, – and that's, that's I think, what, what sparked <laughs> the, the variety of strands of conversations that we ended up going down on the Twitter hole conversation. <laughs> the Twitter hole. Exactly yeah, Twitter what it feels hole. like. So when I slipped into that hole, my thought or my, uh, my what I was wrestling with that about was if 10% of my congregation here at Saxe's Church learns through listening, why mm. does it feel like I spend the majority of my time working on prepping and really kind of like the whole point I'm here is to preach? Isn't that the conveying – am I spending the majority of my time in the 10%? And if I am, how how do I break out of that and spend majority of my time in the 70 or 20 or 10? And furthermore, I think some of the argument on Twitter became, is the 10% even necessary? Should mm. we do that in churches? And biblically, is preaching – is preaching uh, does preaching have the lofty position in Scripture that it does mm. in our seminaries, in our churches, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. No, that's. I mean, there's so many different directions we can go in this. Let me give you give you an example yeah, of how the seventy twenty ten doesn't work well and could work well in a in a church setting. Let's you know focusing on volunteer development and then and then let's hit the preaching because I think the preaching is a little bit more of a sticky. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll build the tension, right? Uh, but you know what? If we start with the volunteer. Aspect. I mean, when's the last time you had 100% of your volunteers come to a Wednesday night or a Saturday morning training or whatnot, right? So most pastors have such a, you know, there's that tension of what do we do? What do we do to train our volunteers? We know we need to do that, but we know people are busy and we know they're not even coming every week on Sunday anymore. So how do we do that? So, I mean, even if you, I talk about it in the book, but, but just the whole idea of flipping the classroom, the idea of typically... Uh, you know, you come to church, here's the lesson, let's talk about it, let's pray and let's go. The whole idea of flipping the classroom when it comes to volunteer development is what if the video's done at home? What if the video is watched at home? You know, maybe it's 10%. You know, that's that's what we do with Ministry Grid. That You know, maybe that's the 10%. And then when you actually get together, not saying to digitize development or digitize discipleship. That's not what this is about. It's high tech and it's high touch, right? So when you get together, that's when you do the the coaching. And that's when if you have group leaders who are already learning by doing because they're leading, you're processing that or maybe you're you're doing some sort of case study together. So there's a lot more of an emphasis of an emphasis on the 70 and the 20. What's fascinating about that is when churches flip their development that way, you actually get higher engagement and attendance uh, amongst your congregation because they they're not just going to hear someone speak. They're going to engage, and it's actually more of an engaging and 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 captivating environment when you do it that way, right? So that's wow. that's the one end, right? That's that's the volunteer end. Okay, man. Preaching though, I Josh, how many times do you preach a week? I preach once a week. 
Okay. Okay. That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm a teaching pastor at my church. I preach once every other week. All right. Uh, now, I mean, I know some of your listeners are probably preaching twice, maybe two or three sermons a week yeah. as well, right? <laughs> they're, they're, they're better humans than I am. Oh, yeah, me too. There's no way I could. I mean, it's hard enough just to just to keep on going at one a week. Yeah. Right. And in, in, in the midst of everything else that you do. So, I mean, in light of this 70, 20, 10, I think the, the one thing that I don't want your listeners to walk away with is that the 10 percent is not as important as the 70 or the 20. OK. Right. Because we we have paradigms. We have. Uh, you know, I, I mean, think about it in your church, right? So this past weekend when I was preaching, one of the things that I often uh, remind our congregation of is the fact that every day we get at least 5,000 marketing messages, you know, sent to us <laughs> and that we are exposed to at least. So if you think about it from that perspective, I mean, every single day of the week, even on Sundays before and after church, the world is shouting at us. You are what you do. You are what you have. You are who you know. You know, you are what you've done. It's it's what Satan did in the in the Garden of Eden and also in the desert with Jesus. Right. He tempted them with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Right. First John two. And and every single day they're doing that. Now, when you come together on Sunday and you're and you're, and you're worshiping with one another and you're hearing the word of God preached in that moment, no matter how short or long that is we are reminding our congregation of their identity in Christ, right? We're not saying, hey, this is what the world says you need to do. No, now you need to do this. You need to stop doing bad and start doing good. No, I mean, that's not the gospel, No, right? That's not the gospel. And so, so that one time a week, you're like, hey, there's nothing that you can ever do to make God love you more. There's nothing that you can ever do to make God love you less, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you are a beloved child of God, Right. And you're reminding through the songs we sing, right? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. I mean, through all these songs that we sing, we are being reminded, whether it be for an hour, hour and a half or whatnot, of our identity in Christ. Now, that alone is not enough, which is why we need to go to the Word and we need to develop these disciplines to engaging with the Word and engaging with the Scriptures. But unless we have that, that's that 10%. If we don't have that, we don't know how to do the 70 yeah. Right. There's no that. way There's because alignment because, getting exactly. everybody aligned. Yeah. So that so even though the 10% is 10%, it's not that the 10% is not important. It's foundational in reorienting ourselves okay. so that the 70 that we do is not, you know, you know, plop, you know, propping ourselves up or or living according to the ways of the world, but we're right. living according to the ways of the spirit and then we're interacting with one another. I know Josh, at your church, you guys do sermon-based small groups. That's right. Right. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's that twenty percent, and then you right. go on and do it. So, what would be? Let's let's kind of unpack that a little bit for our listeners. Mm-hmm. The ten percent is our weekly sermons, so we're going to talk about those on the Sunday morning sermons. And then for those of you who are preaching on Sunday night and Wednesday night, and maybe you're leading a Bible study and all that, you know, we'll pray for you. But we're we're talking <laughs> yeah. particularly about that ten percent, that big alignment sort of sermon. And if they're in series, particularly, I, I like that. And then we're going to go 20%. They're going to learn even more through the coaching together. So at that point, we're right at 30%. And I think even in a great situation, we might be missing a bigger applica- a bigger way to teach our congregations. What are some ideas you have if we're doing a series? I'm, I'm wrapping up a series this week on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to wrap that up. We've gone eight weeks through the Sermon on the Mount. We've gone eight weeks in small group 
um, discussions together. Mm-hmm. What would be another way in a setting like that to, you know, add that 70% to it? And part of that is with with adults, right? And and what's interesting about the way adults learn is, once again, like I said earlier, you don't just learn and store up to be used later. But it's like, hey, hey, what is what is? And I think part of it is prayer requires listening, right? Listening to the Spirit, listening to what God is doing, what is, what He's saying to your local church, uh, you know, through your through the Word of God in group context, right? So as you look at that. I would say after hearing the messages, the 10% processing it with one another, the 20%, it's actually coming before God and saying, Lord, what would you have us do with this in our particular context in our in our group, right? And actually spending time during prayer in your group, not just saying, hey, pray for my mother-in-law, <laughs> pray for me, pray for, you know, my neighbor's neighbor, <laughs> right. right? How sometimes we do, but it's saying, hey, you know, guys, we read the word. Let's not just be as as James talks about, right? Let's let's not just be hearers of the word. Let's be doers of the word, right? And saying, okay, what can, I, can what can we actually do as that? And even when you look at your group, is your you know are you a group of missionaries or are you are you a group on mission, right? And even yeah, taking a look absolutely. at it from that perspective and saying, okay, what can we do in light of that? Yeah. I think always bringing it down to that, even in sermon applications, it's always, hey, and this is what I often do. I'm like, hey, what can you do as an individual? What can you do as a group? Right? What can we collectively do as a church? Mm-hmm. And really being able to break it down because, I mean, we sometimes we got to spell it out, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons we always end our small group discussion guides with this group application. It's more, okay, this now is what our group is going to do. Because of what we've learned, what we've discussed, now let's go off and do this next, you know, like the application that came out of this last Sunday, my small group's discussion was that in February, we're going to adopt the single parents meeting that we have here at the church. We're going to, it's like an event where we'll play with their kids and we feed them all and we pay for all of that and we're going to do this whole project. It doesn't happen until February, but it was birthed through our discussion that was based on the sermon the week before. So oh, that's cool. It's, it's kind of all fleshing out the way we need to. And I think it's encouraging for a, a lot of small church pastors or maybe medium-sized church pastors where they're like, man, I don't know if I can do all of this. The reality is you may be kind of stumbling through doing all of this. You just need to align it, align it and kind of strengthen each of them. Maybe a big encouragement, I think, to some of the people that are listening to us. You know, um, yeah. We're kind of running out of time here. It's been such a great discussion, and I really appreciate. <laughs> and you it's it's on. it's different than what we. It, it's it's pretty different than what we talked about yesterday too. It so. really was. You know, the after talking file. to you yesterday, I just kept thinking of all the stuff that we were talking about and kind of looking at our church. In fact, my wife, she does these Bible studies. We always joke. If I start a Wednesday night Bible study, we'll have like eight folks there because I'm the pastor, so eight people show up. And but if she does one. Um, there'll be 55 women that show up to this thing every single time. She's so much better at um, teaching than I am. And so she was having, and we actually brainstormed the idea of what if she gave her lectures in live Facebook videos during the mm-hmm. week. And then, cause she always do a, a lecture and then she sends them home with homework yeah. and some of them will, 
most of them don't do their homework, you know. Well, what if she gave the lecture in a live Facebook video and then came together and they worked on the homework all together yeah. in interactive groups? And so she kind of got pumped up about that. And I would encourage other people to read the book and read through that, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the book, I talk about flipping the classroom when it comes to leadership development. Right. But I've been doing it in the life group that I lead. Where So Lifeway has this platform called smallgroup.com where you can do Beth Moore studies or JD Group. I mean, all these guys, video or sermon-based stuff, right? So what I actually do in my group, and we're just finishing up a, a Matt Chandler series on, on the gospel. Okay. And what, what's happening is they're all watching. Everyone in our group is watching the video at home. Because what I, you know, I love, I love, you know, paper based or sermon, you know, sermon based type of things. Because then you don't need to watch a video or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's nice to do the videos. It's nice to do all that for additional teaching on a certain topic. The right. problem is I hate that we're just sitting as lame ducks for like 45 minutes or 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you have like 20 minutes to talk, if even, and like 10 minutes to pray and you got to leave. Right. So we flipped it wherever. And my my – my fear was that people weren't going to listen or watch and they actually engage with the material before they come. There's this culture of accountability that's been built up. There's this culture of this accountability that's been built up as a result. And then it's beautiful because now we have an hour to discuss, to pray, you know, and on top of that, we have 30 minutes to eat. Rather that's than great. Waiting. Yeah. So it's cool. So the cool thing is that your child, your your church's children care workers will not get mad at you for discussing for an hour and eating thirty minutes and watching a forty five minute video. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you made them. You come take care of them. So yeah, I think that that really helps, and it may unlock a lot of things that you know other churches can do. We don't even have time to discuss the whole concept of the uh, medium sized group atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk, you talk about the large group, which is kind of your worship service. You talk about the small group, which is that, that little bit more personal setting. And then you talk about the intimate setting, but there's this other third realm or fourth realm, actually, that a lot of churches ignore, which was yeah. fascinating and really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of areas where Saxe's church could really work on some improvements or there, you know, to be real honest with you, there was a couple immediate thoughts I had of past experiences where we were fighting against that fourth or, you know, it's actually the second one. Yeah. But we were fighting against that as a church leadership because we felt like it wasn't in one of the other two that we really liked. Okay. Okay. It, interesting. It wasn't big enough to be our church. It wasn't small enough to be a small group. So we were constantly trying to split it up or break it up. Or And what eventually happened was we just moved it into a bigger setting and let it go. And it yeah. just kept growing and making more small groups off of it, which – was interesting. I I can't tell you how many times I've run up against a church leadership fighting against that second level there. Mm. And so for those of us, for those of you who are listening, you're going to have to buy the book and read what we're talking about. <laughs> it's so fascinating and something I think that might relieve a little bit of stress for you and, and help to reproduce leaders, especially in that second realm where so many yeah. people can connect. Uh, Daniel, yeah. thank you so much for jumping on the show again and talking to us about your book. Where could people connect with you should they want to talk with you a little more yeah so you can go to my website danielm.com uh, my last name is two letters i m so daniel im.com ton of stories about that <laughs> <laughs> i'm daniel no, okay uh just a lot of different things which is it's it's really funny you'll never hear me say i'm daniel you, i'll no. always say no i'll always say my name is daniel just oh, because really? of that yeah it's it's anyways that's random See, my last name is king uh, and i love reversing it i always reverse king josh i'm king josh yeah, yeah that's how I re- in fact the funny thing is and a lot of people don't believe me on this our church majority of our church calls me king almost everybody refers to me as king because 
one of our associate pastors' name is Josh Prince. And so I'm Josh King. He's Josh Prince. And so most of the church calls me King and him Prince. That's hilarious. The the funny thing is if you're standing next to a guest, maybe I'm talking to a guest. It's the first time they've been on church. They don't even know me. And somebody walks up and refers to me as King. And then I answer them and then they walk away. People think that they're... I made them talk, call me king. You know, that's how in control I am. That's hilarious. That's so funny. So, yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're, you know, on the, on the site, you can get links to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'd love to connect you on that. My email is Daniel at newchurches.com. If you have any further questions. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's the best place to, to contact me. And the book, No Silver Bullets, where can they get that? How do they get it? Yeah, that? so you can you can get that everywhere books are sold, at your Lifeway Christian store or Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever. Uh, and if you go to danielm.com slash no silver bullets, I have links for all those places. But also uh, I do, you know, I'll, I'll help you and your team process the material as well. There are different options to, to do that just for free uh, because I want to I wanna help churches implement this stuff. So That's so great. Thanks again, yeah. Daniel. And thank you you all for listening to the show make sure that you rate review and subscribe to us there'll be more information about that later thanks again we'll catch you next week you've been listening to est a discussion for the established church make sure to follow us on facebook and twitter as well as subscribe rate and review on itunes google play or your favorite podcatcher thanks for listening Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the Word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.